Welcome to Retreat Affairs. This is your host, Sasha Kaus. I'm super happy that you have found the podcast. If you're hearing this, you're listening to our free feed that will only feature partial episodes of the podcast. If you're interested in the full conversation and all content, you'll need to subscribe at retreataffairs.com. There, you will get access to the full recording and a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcatcher. And you will be able to access other subscriber-only content. I never want money to be the reason why you can't listen to the podcast. So if you can't afford a membership, there's an option at retreataffairs.com to request a free account and I grant 100% of those requests. No questions asked. Hey friends, welcome to the Retreat Affairs podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Kaus. My guest today is Jules Sampson. Jules is the founder and owner of Reclaim Yourself, yoga retreats in extraordinary places. You find Jules on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Reclaim Yourself. That's R-E-C-L-A-I-M-Y-O-U-R-S-E-L-F. And on our website, reclaimyourself.co.uk. Jules has been organizing retreats all around the world and gathered an incredible amount of experience from hosting over 200 retreats within the last 15 years. But for Jules, it's not about the masses. She only runs around 10 retreats per year. But those are all very unique experiences. With Reclaim Yourself, she has specialized in creating yoga retreats in extraordinary places. Her retreats take you to Lapland, where you can stay in tree houses. You can go to Iceland and see the Aurora Borealis. You can have yoga and tea ceremonies in Japan, or you can do yoga in a yurt and sing with herders in Mongolia. There are many more adventures that you can go on with Jules, but from my own experience, I know that not only the places where Jules hosts her retreats are mind-blowing, she also teams up with great teachers that will take you on a deep inner journey. One of those teachers is Emma Henry. Emma is a senior Jivamukti yoga teacher, and we met when I attended my yoga teacher training with Jivamukti back in 2013. Emma introduced me to Jules about five years ago. Jules was in the last steps of preparing the first ever yoga retreat in Mongolia. For the retreat in Mongolia, Jules and Emma were looking for someone who could shoot a video and like to travel. To me, that sounded like a perfect assignment. I was immediately hooked. I had the privilege to go with them on an incredible trip to one of the most remote places in the world. You'll find a link to that video on the Retreat Affairs website in the show notes for this episode. Have a look and you get an idea of the experience we had going to Mongolia. When I decided to start the Retreat Affairs podcast, I knew that I wanted to talk to Jules. She has been a big inspiration and role model. I think that she has created something special with Reclaim Yourself. Jules works with a small and dedicated team of teachers, chefs and locations to create unforgettable experiences. I've seen how much attention and love she puts into her work and her retreats. Her recent efforts focus on how to run a sustainable retreat business, have a positive impact on the people and places she works with, and create responsible travel experiences. I'm sure you will enjoy this episode. Jules and I had a wide-ranging conversation. We talked about how she took over a whole village in India to create a retreat. She told me what led her to create the retreat in Mongolia. And we discussed what sustainable travel means for her and the responsibility she sees in supporting local communities. I'm very happy to have Jules as one of my first guests on the show.
welcome to the show, Jules. It's such a pleasure to have you here. It's a real honor to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited about it. I was really honored when I got your message asking me to be part of this. I just thought, what a brilliant idea. I'm in. Thank you so much. I mean, I have to say, and also to give our listeners a little bit of context, um, you've been such an inspiration for myself. And um, actually, like the moment that we met going to Mongolia, I mean, you organized the first ever yoga retreat in Mongolia. And I was so lucky to be with you there. It was just like an amazing experience. So, um, yeah, you've uh, really created something special. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, you, you did dive in right at the deep end, didn't you? I, I would say that Mongolia is probably our most adventurous retreat um, ever. And it still is. Um, but you came to the first one. So you, you saw it all unfolding, didn't you? Yes, absolutely. So before we go a little bit more into the retreats themselves and also again to Mongolia, um, I just want to go back a little bit in time. And I want to ask like, do you actually remember your first retreat that you ever attended? Or did you ever attend a retreat before creating your own? I used to work in international development and I lived in Tanzania in East Africa and I had a completely different life there. And I was uh, working in an office, um, feeling a little bit unhappy about that whole part of my life. And I, while I was there, I retrained as a massage therapist and while doing all my training, met this whole group of uh, expat people that were into wellness. And through them, I discovered yoga retreats. And they weren't kind of the yoga retreats that you have today, but it was like a group of people going away for a weekend. They just put themselves into a hotel, took their yoga teacher with them and ordered healthy meals. And I kind of went along to a few of those and... I think at that point in my life where I was, you know, in that work hard, play hard phase that you tend to have, well, I don't know if everyone does, I did, where I was, you know, I used to smoke, I was drinking, I was working late, I was drinking coffee, I was kind of getting towards burnout. And when I used to go away for my weekends, I would just go away, drink all weekend, have loads of fun, have a big blowout and then come back feeling even worse and then go back to work on a Monday and I think by suddenly doing these weekends with this group of people where you went away and you looked after yourself and you ate well and you slept well and you moved your body and you were in company of other people that encourage you to do that and then I'd go back to work on Monday feeling amazing. So for me that was the very first moment and the inspiration of going this is a really good thing to do. So yeah, that's kind of, I didn't really book a retreat like the retreats you have now because they weren't around. I'm that old. It's been going for that long. <laughs> but then you, at, at some point, you decided to step out of the corporate world and go more into the whole wellness sector. What was that journey like? Um, yeah, it was, it took me a while. I mean, I worked in um, development for 10 years and that was always, you know, I, I, I studied it at university. That was always my plan. And I did it for 10 years and I kind of just got a bit disillusioned with it. When I got uh, this job in Tanzania, I was so excited to go. And then when I got there, I realized I didn't really fit in. I didn't like being an expat and being kind of segregated. And I couldn't find my way past it. And, I, you know, I know loads of amazing people that still do that work and they've found 
their way through that maze and they, they, they're not in a segregated life and they're doing amazing work. But for me, I just got stuck in it somehow. It wasn't right for me. So I got, I kind of went through that phase of being very disillusioned and thinking, well, this is my life plan and it's not working now. What shall I do? And I was just, I was really lucky because the expat community in Tanzania at the time was relatively small and there was a this amazing woman called Radka who's a Slovenian woman who set up a spa in uh, Dar es Salaam at the time it was the only one and, and everyone used to go there for massages and she just said to me one day I have a really strong feeling that I need to teach you massage do you want to learn I'm going to put a course together for you and I was like yeah why not you know not much else to do in the evenings here never really thought about it I'll uh oh yeah I'll sign myself up for that yeah and literally I went in for the first day and the first the day that I put my hands on that first person there was just this moment of reconnection to myself and to that person who my hands were on and, and it was just life-changing for me and I'm just so lucky that happened you know, I didn't even know that was going to happen. I just kind of went along because I thought it'd be something a bit different. And I was just in. I was like, I, I think I was so disconnected from being an expat, um, you know, feeling disconnected to my work, to other people, feeling a bit lonely. And then suddenly to put my hands on someone and feel this deep, meaningful connection. And I just, I that Radhika was the most amazing teacher. She just basically downloaded years and years and years of experience and it wasn't you know like a massage course where you learn a routine and then you pass your test it was more her saying how do you feel your body somebody's body through your hands don't think about it feel it it was the most amazing training and she was she was a tough teacher you know I had to massage her every week and she'd go no not like that no and it was you know it's a hard way to learn but I really really learned the art of massage and I was just in, I was just hooked. This like this makes me feel good and I'm helping somebody else feel good. What else can I do? And I just went on this, you know, really wonderful journey because Rad could say, oh, so-and-so teaches yoga at a house. Do you want to come and try that? And I'm like, yoga, what's that? Let's go. So off I went and I think because I wasn't in the UK, which is where I'm from, and I was in this, you know, small, quiet place, I just had time in my evenings and weekends to explore it and then you know looking at food and changing my diet and then I stopped smoking and then I cut down on my drinking and I kind of just went on my own journey from almost burnt out into getting well and getting healthy and then I took a sabbatical from my job came back to London and did my professional massage training because I was like this is what I want to do with my life so then I did my anatomy and physiology passed my exams and then I went back to Tanzania and did consultancy work plus massage and I thought this is my new life I'll do consultancy work and earn money and then I'll do massage and just enjoy my life and for a couple of years that worked for me and I carried on, you know, connecting and learning and practicing yoga and learning Tai Chi and then I did Reiki and, you know, just kind of as you do when it's all new, just went into everything. And after a couple of years, I just thought I can't actually live this dual life. It's like a schizophrenic life where one day I'm doing my consultancy work and I feel a bit depressed 
and I don't feel right about what I'm doing and then another day I'm massaging or you know doing some kind of healthy weekend and I feel amazing life is short and I was like I've just got to live it so I basically decided to come back to the UK and try and work out what to do I didn't come back thinking I'm going to set up a retreat company because that didn't really exist at the time I think I thought I was going to set up a spa uh, and I came back to London and then you know the reality of being in the west I was like oh that's going to be very expensive and loads of people are already doing that I don't think I really want to do that so I kind of I did massage for a few months wondering what to do met loads of really interesting people and then I got a job working at Purple Valley Retreat Centre in Goa. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's it's an Ashtanga yoga retreat centre. It's been running for a really long time. It's a really amazing place. They basically have all of the top Ashtanga yoga teachers internationally come and teach a one or two week retreat. And so there's a massive turnover of up to 40 guests every one or two weeks and a whole team behind it. And that was my first experience of a proper retreat centre and all the drama and the magic and the power and everything. I was like, this is what I want to do. And at that point, I'd already, when I first came back to the UK, I I signed up to do a nutrition course and I'd met some people on that course that were saying, you know, let's do some events. And we'd kind of done a couple of things in the UK and just invited our friends and just, you know, like put up some bell tents in a, in a garden and uh, run, ran a sort of a weekend for our friends. But then when I went to India, that was when I went, oh, this is what a retreat is. And watch that journey that people do from when they arrive on a retreat until they leave. And I watched it happen a time and time and time again for like a whole eight month period. And I think that's where I really kind of learned what it is and how I wanted to be involved. So how long did it take you from walking into Radka's place for the first time and then setting up your very first own retreat? Three years. My first proper retreat I would say uh, I did a UK weekend um, in Dartmoor. I can't remember the name of the place now. It was not a public place. It was someone's private house. Um, But it was the first one where people were, it wasn't just my friends coming where we actually advertised it um, and, you know, had a proper chef and a proper yoga retreat, uh, yoga teacher, rather than just a group of friends doing it. And that was in... 2005 when you did that first weekend like what was the motivation was it also to share your own skills like offer massages or anything beyond that it definitely wasn't about my massages at that point it was i i think my original motivation and that it this is still very much part of it is i had just met some really amazing practitioners and i wanted to put them together uh, and create a pro- it was a creative thing. I wanted to put together a program with this yoga teacher, this healer, this chef, and this, this is what's going to happen at this time, and then that's going to happen there. And I just I was always interested in how you create each day, and ha- what happens to people during each day, and who's going to do what, and the process from when someone arrives to when they leave. So it was really for me about creating that event. 
and then inviting people in to say if you come and do this i guarantee you're going to feel great and so how would you say over the last i mean it's now 15 years 15 years yeah wow that's like a long time so how would you say did this whole thing evolve in terms of the motivation what you want to create and how that um, shows up for the guests um i i think actually i was thinking about this the other day my original motivation for what i do still stands i haven't really changed in terms of um, for me, it's all about creating these amazing experiences and working with brilliant teams to deliver them and offering it out to people and saying, come and join us. But the way that I've done it and where I've done it and how I've done it has changed along the way. It's kind of gone through different phases. Um, I never sat down and went, I'm going to create a retreat business and this is my business plan. And in three years, I'm going to make this much money. And in five years, I'm going to make this much money. And in 10 years, I'm going to sell it. And I'm going to be a millionaire. Sometimes I think I should have done that. (laughs) But it's too late now. That's not what I did. It's just been a kind of creative, like, I didn't think I'd end up doing this as a full-time job. I didn't think this would be it. I thought I would kind of, you know, do some events and do other stuff. And it just kind of grew. Um, But I think that, that the creative force of what I've been doing has always been there but when I first started I was just I didn't really think I just wanted to go to beautiful places and I think because I lived in Tanzania uh, and I managed to you know travel you know Tanzania is an incredibly beautiful country and there's so many amazing places and I think if you live there you start to explore places that people don't go to so much so I got a real taste for going to incredible wild places so I wanted to find those kind of places but at the beginning I didn't have the courage to take people to places like that I felt like people you know I did a retreat in Goa but instead of booking a retreat center I took over a village I just wanted to do it that way Um, I think because I had been doing development work before, I always wanted my retreats to be something where I gave something back. And I like working with local people. I don't really want to kind of go to a foreign-owned retreat centre. So I worked at a foreign-owned retreat centre and it was amazing. But I really liked the fact that the Indian staff were the people that were really running the show and and the rest of us foreigners just kind of had to ask them how to do it. So I, I kind of found a village in South Goa and then had a meeting with the village government and said, you know, I'd like to bring a group here and this is, you know, what I'd like to do. And then they had a whole discussion and they said, yes, you can do that. And I basically, they had like about six houses in the village where people had spare rooms that they rented out to travellers. So we basically invested, gave them all some money so they could repaint the rooms, get new mattresses set it all up they cleared a piece of land for the yoga and then I, I employed most of the village to be part of the retreat even the kids who'd run off and get the bread in the mornings and it was like a massive effort from everybody I didn't make any money at all myself but it was an amazing experience and so I've kind of always wanted to do things that are a bit different and a bit unusual I guess that's always been part of what I do so what are then 
the moments where you feel like within a retreat where you feel that you're really close to your mission close to what you want to do the moments on a retreat when i i feel that oh, i don't know if it's whether i feel i'm just thinking about it now it's such a good question there are there's usually on most retreats there's a moment where i sit there and i go yes and it's normally when the group have connected and it's you know it's often it's a meal time or it's an activity where most of the group if not all of them are involved and they're deeply connecting with the local host and everyone's talking and chatting and communicating and sharing and they're in the moment they're totally present they're not talking about something that's happened to them at home they're maybe not talking about any problems they've got they're they're right there present talking about where they are what they're doing they're connecting with somebody who probably doesn't even speak much of their language and those are the moments when I feel absolute joy like this is it this is where we're at and so how are retreats any different from the usual experiences when we travel when we go to foreign places when we meet people in other countries what is it that makes retreats so special yeah I think I mean it's like it's the power of travel plus wellness isn't it it's 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 those, the combination of those two things and you know like I was talking about earlier you you can go on a trip there's so many different types of trips you can go on um and for people that are passionate and love traveling and love going on holidays you can you know go away somewhere and just being away from home being out of your routine um being away from your stress of your daily life that in itself is i think something that you know that whenever you travel whether you're going on a package holiday or you're going to climb a mountain that's your kind of first thing that happens when you're away that starts to shift you um and i think going to another place and you're meeting another culture and you've got different surroundings all of those th things and maybe being a bit out of your comfort zone maybe feeling a little bit challenged you just kind of shift but if you then add in doing daily yoga classes twice a day that you know that's for some people maybe they practice yoga twice a day I find that most people that come on my retreats that's not their normal practice we do get some people that have a daily practice but often it's people that go to classes one or, once or twice a week and sometimes once a week or they haven't been to yoga for ages and then suddenly they're there and they're doing a daily practice they're up early in the morning they're working they're moving they're breathing you know I work with really brilliant yoga teachers I think you know some of them um, and it's challenging and it's you know being in that situation every day people asking you to have a little think about things you know some of my teachers teach quite strong philosophy um, and it's challenging and, and to to have that daily practice you start your day with that and then you go out and do whatever you're going to do and then you come back together and you continue that practice in the evening that journey that people do from the you know when they go into class the first day I was they're like a raggedy baggedy bunch that all run in some of them are in there early and some of them run in there late and you know by day three they're like this beautiful group that are working together they're all in unison because they've been in this class they're having this shared experience I don't go into the yoga classes 
I, I like people to feel they're having a private experience with the yoga teacher so I don't let the team come in we don't go and watch it's something very private so what I see is what they're like before a class and what they're like after a class and sometimes you know in a morning if someone hasn't slept well or some stuff's come up for them you know I always greet everyone in the morning before they go into yoga class and make sure they're all right and I kind of think oh a couple of people are feeling a little bit out of sorts by the time they all come out of yoga their whole mood has shifted and changed and it's not always an easy process it's not like you go into yoga and you come out you feel happy Sometimes it will, you know, challenge you. Sometimes people come out and they feel frustrated or they feel upset. But, you know, going on that journey with a yoga teacher is very powerful. And then if you add in an amazing chef who's feeding you, like, great, nutritional, powerful, tasty food that you're not having to think about. I mean, you're a chef. You can talk more about this. The power of feeding people is you know as same with yoga it can be quite controversial because you're not gonna not everyone's gonna love every meal not everyone's gonna love what you're doing but if you're having you know a retreat where you're having a bit less sugar a bit less caffeine a bit less alcohol um, we tend we tend to do plant-based food um, sometimes we do vegetarian but it's mostly plant-based food um and we take away refined sugars. We do have a coffee every now and again. We don't serve alcohol, but people can have a drink if they go out. So it's not like a total strict thing. But for many people, that's not how they normally eat. And and that is also a journey. Um, I'm not a yoga teacher. I'm not a chef. So I don't feel qualified to talk in great detail. But what I see is people going through that journey. And I think it's it's a very powerful thing and then you know if you add maybe having a treatment a massage some transformational breath work whatever you you know shiatsu and then sleeping well and then resting and then going out and have adventures that whole combination for people takes them I think more deeply into themselves and then along on a journey that is often quite transformational um, and I do think you can have that if you go on a package holiday tour. You can, but it's different. It's different. You know, you, it, it depends what you need from a holiday. But for me, that's what I see happens on a retreat. It's why I'm so passionate about it. I mean, I, I totally I totally get you. And I see it within my own retreats. And especially like when I cook for people and when yeah, they come me, out of class. Me. I also, I see, I see same thing. Like when they go into class in the morning uh, and when they come out, um, they're like totally transformed in a way. And you can also feel over the days how mm -hmm. the group gets together. And those are always very, very special moments. Yeah. Sometimes it's at a meal table. Sometimes it's like a little trip that you take and everybody is in a special place in nature. And then you really feel this moment where it connects, where it shifts from right. being the inv individual that come on a retreat towards like becoming this group yeah mm -hmm. this 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 organism that's together and there's yeah. like a bond that's created and yeah. also i have that a lot within like when the moments when we serve the food 
Um, it's something that many of us don't really experience that in such a way anymore, yeah? because most of the people that come to the retreats, most of us are living on their own and um, coming together and share food in such a way, apart yeah. from having a lunch break with colleagues or whatever. It's something that doesn't happen so often. And so that's also quite a powerful thing. But so how, how do you see your own role in those moments? Like when you say you don't go into the class, you don't teach, sometimes I know you do massages, you offer massage, but how do you see your role in general for the group and how do you connect with the people? Well, I, can't, I think I have loads of different roles. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm the organizer. So I'm usually kind of the logistical manager of the retreat, I'd like to say. So I am the person that, you know, I put the schedule together and then I have to deliver it. So I'm the timekeeper um, and I'm the person making sure that everyone's gone into yoga on time and if someone's missing, check where they are, make sure they're okay. I'm the person that makes sure you all are right in the kitchen, is food going to be on the table? Uh, you know, if there's a, an excursion that people are going on, the minibus is there or whatever. You know, I'm the person that just puts... And some of the retreats we do, there's a lot happening. So I am the lady with the clipboard, with a list, walking around, making sure that everything happens. So I've, I feel like when you run a retreat, you create a container. And the container, the, the, the kind of structure of it is the, is the schedule. And I think it's really important that you deliver that schedule exactly as you have promised. Because people feel safe then. If everything starts being a bit late or keeps changing, you know, it really does affect everyone's mood. And sometimes if you're working somewhere that has crazy weather, you have to change things. But I always make it very clear at the beginning. I put my schedule up on the wall and I tell people, if there's any change, you'll see it in red the day before and then I'll let you know. So everyone feels safe and that they're in good hands that this is not something that's just gonna turn into chaos so that's my first job what else is it that you feel that makes people feel safe because this is also something that i experience a lot like once i'm able to create an atmosphere where people feel safe then it's possible to create magic yeah that's a good point um i think at the core of it it's down to the team you know it's I can be really I mean I'm very I've been doing it for 15 years but I quite often put myself in situations where we're running retreats in quite crazy countries but I do have a very calm approach to most things and people say to me you know sometimes I've been a bit worried then I look at your face Jules and I feel fine you know, I think it's a bit that thing like when you're on an aeroplane and there's turbulence and you check the air steward and if they're not looking worried, it's all good. So I think I have quite a strong part to play, you know, because they've dealt with me in the build up to the retreat and there I am running it and I'm calm and I'm like, don't worry, we'll sort that out. That's fine. But also having a really amazing yoga teacher who's confident, strong, can, you know, so much stuff can come up in a yoga class as you know, um, and on a retreat even more so, and having a teacher that's very experienced with that, because you're in a residential situation, it's not like you teach one class and everyone goes home and just deals with themselves, you know, it's gonna, stuff is gonna come up. So a teacher that is present, 
you know my teachers don't just teach the class then disappear off in their room they eat meals with the guests sometimes they come out on excursions they climb mountains with them they're fully available and fully connected and part of the retreat so and same thing with the the chefs they don't really have time so much to kind of engage but they're always there at meal times they're always there to chat about what they've cooked why they have so I think people feel yeah these guys know what they're doing you know what I'm eating what I'm practicing what I'm doing these these people are professional so I think that's a really big part of it. And then just, you know, what you've created, there's a real skill to putting together a retreat schedule and the journey that people go on. It's definitely, I'm really passionate about that whole design of a retreat and understanding, I mean, you know, you run retreats. There's usually a day where everyone feels a bit funny and how you manage that day is just absolutely key. And it's taken me years to understand that that is where the magic happens. That's the juicy bit, isn't it? That's where people are feeling a bit out of their comfort zone. They're tired. They're homesick. They fancy a beer. They're kind of just in that place going, ugh. And I used to, that day, I used to take that personally. I used to think, oh my God, people are not enjoying the retreat. Oh no, what have I done wrong? And now after years of doing it, I understand that that's where you do the work. And kind of going back to your earlier question about my role, beyond the practical role of what I'm doing and supporting people, I make sure that I get to know every single person on the first day. You know, I'm, I am, I'm dealing with them. We, do, we run 10 retreats a year. It's not a massive company and I, and I want to keep it that way. So I get to, I know everyone's name before they come. Some of them I've already chatted to if they've asked me lots of questions, but I always make sure... I get a little list and I go through and I make sure on the first day that I've spoken to everyone and then, you know, within two days I'll make sure that I've sat with different people at mealtimes and just find out stuff about them. And I've got my own little secret formula about what kind of things I want to ask them. Like I never say, what do you do? I don't want to know, you know, what job they do. I don't want them to define themselves to me until I'm a lawyer or I'm a nurse you know, I ask them different questions and I kind of try and find out what it is that they're, why they're here, why they've come on a retreat. And then I kind of try and make it my business to make sure they get what they need as they go through. And also, if there's something happening for them where they feel vulnerable or worried or bored or that I can find a way to give them what they need. Um, and I, that, I think that's my specialist skill. That's what I'm really bringing to a retreat. Um, and I work quite closely with my team. You know, sometimes people, uh, something will come up for somebody in yoga and they'll share it with a yoga teacher or something will come up in a, a healing session and they'll share it. And what, what happens to people on a retreat is very private and all of my team are very good at, you know, client confidentiality. But sometimes a team member will come to me and say, can I speak to you in private? You know, this person just had a pretty big session. She's feeling a little bit wobbly and they won't tell me what it is and what's gone on because it's it's private. But they'll say, you know, she's she's feeling a little bit wobbly and I'll just make sure if I can that I'll sit next to that person at lunch and just quietly check in or just, you know... If I can't sit next to them, I'll just keep my eye briefly and and maybe give the yoga teacher a heads up and say, you know, that person's having a bit of a day today. Let's 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 be gentle. 
So we're kind of really caring for everybody as it goes along. And I think my role is to oversee all of that for my guests in a very uh, compassionate and careful way. What would you say, like, like how big of an importance is this kind of ability to hold space, to be ready to encounter maybe difficult situations with guests uh, when they're going through a hard time? Oh, I think it's like the absolute key to the success of a retreat, really. I think if, if you want to... Uh, if if you want to create a retreat where people are doing deep work, I think it's it's essential. Um, mm. And it's not easy sometimes. It's not easy. Um, and I I'm really grateful for my team because there are days when you know I can handle a lot. I can I can cope with a lot, especially on the sort of logistical practical stuff. If something goes wrong, I can you know manage quite a lot of bonkers situations. But You know, sometimes people come at you um, and it's hard and, it, and it's, it's, it's good. You know, people might, you know, when they arrive, they're not happy with, they've arrived and they feel out of their comfort zone. And as I'm the organizer and the owner, of course, they're going to come to me and maybe present me with something that I can't do anything about. And that's, sometimes that's quite hard to hold. And in those moments, you know, I've had such amazing support from, say, my yoga teacher saying, don't take it personally. There's probably something else going on. Have faith in the process. Be kind, be compassionate, be strong. Let's hold it together and see see what happens in the next couple of days. And, you know, nine times out of 10, whatever was bothering that person when they arrive, within 24, 48 hours as they settle into the process, they kind of go, oh, okay this is cool, I can do this. So it, it's so important to not, you know, I don't know, argue back with someone when they're not happy when they arrived and say to them, well, this is what you booked, this is what you paid for, I made it quite clear. You know, those kind of, it's so easy to do that, but instead to step back and understand the deeper process that there's something going on. And I think when you work with a really experienced retreat team, you all know that, you all know what's going on and what you have to wait for so how do you how do you choose your team like how do you find the people that you'd like to work with and that you have like a long working relationship with um very interesting question it's kind of word of mouth uh usually I've, my team's quite small and i prefer to keep it that way it's it's not that i, I don't like put a retreat together and then try and find a team to deliver it I find the team and then I put the retreat together so it's it's a real kind of creative collaboration um, so I think I, I'm currently working with 10 people in total and you know not everyone does every retreat so I think I've got four yoga teachers that I work with three chefs and then a couple of assistants and, and um, body workers and we I I think Like, I work a lot with Emma Henry, who I think you know. She's a uh, really amazing Jiva Mukti teacher. And how I met her is one of her students came on another one of my retreats. And she said to me, do you know Emma Henry? And I said, no. And she said, you and her really remind me of each other. I'd really like, you, I'd really like to introduce her to you. I don't know if she's interested in doing retreats. I go to her classes. She just kind of says similar jokes to you 
maybe you just like each other. And I thought, yeah, she sounds great. And, you know, got home, Googled her, as you do, checked her out and thought, yeah, she looks cool. And then we just met for a juice. And I just liked her immediately and said, you know, this is what I'm doing. And she's like, yeah, that sounds great. And it was literally a conversation like that. And then she said, come to class. And I think at the time I'd had an injury and I had a frozen shoulder. So I went and sat in the corner of the class uh, and just watched this. And I'd never been to a Jeeva Mukti class before. And I mean, a, an Emma Henry Jeeva Mukti class is, is something else, isn't it? I think there's about 50 people in the class. And I walked in and I was like, yes, please. I want this on my retreats. I don't know what it is, but I like it. And then we had a couple more meetings. Um, I think we went out for afternoon tea um, at uh, a hotel in London. And I thought we'd meet for an hour. And we left about midnight, having met at three in the afternoon. And we just didn't stop talking. So the connection was just so deep straight away. And, you know, clearly Emma is a very talented teacher, but she's also very well-traveled, very worldly, and had so many ideas. So we were just like, yeah, 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 yeah. So it kind of happens like that. It's organic and someone will suggest somebody and say, well, this person would be interesting for you to work with. And sometimes it's guests that come on retreats that have been to uh, like other people's classes or, um, you know, I, I think I worked on a retreat in Ibiza and the guy who owned the retreat centre said, oh, we, we work with this great woman called Amanda Tizard. She... Um, does massaging and healing work would you like her to come in and, and massage your clients and I was like yeah sure great and she turned up and as soon as she walked in she just went hello and I was like hello and we just sat down and talked for ages because she'd arrived and and they were sitting in class and we were chatting and me and her just we just got on so well and I was like oh please come and do more and more retreats with me and I've managed to kind of lure her in to do more and more so we're like a really tight team and I think uh, Adam Hustler is another teacher I work with quite a lot. I had actually met, uh, I don't know if you know him, Sigismundi, no. Alessandro Sigismundi. He's a photographer, filmmaker, Italian guy, really talented, really interesting. And I'd met him, I can't remember why, to talk to him about a project in Italy. And he was showing me some of his work and he showed me a film of Adam. And it was a funny film about him running around London teaching and drinking too much coffee. And I just thought, yeah, he looks like fun. And then there was a bit of him doing his practice. And I just thought, he looks like fun. So I'm, I don't know. I, I'm not really answering your question. I don't advertise. I don't do like a recruitment like that. I kind of go by word of mouth. And then I meet people and I chat to people. And I have an idea of what I want and what I need. And I think a lot of teachers in particular don't want to work the way that I'm working because I want a lot I expect a lot it's like either you're into this whole thing or you're not it's not that you like get booked for a job and you turn up and you get paid a grand or three grand and then go away it's like you're in this team and you're in this process and you've got to give it your all and I think that certain people at certain times in their life especially in a teaching career, are up for that. And it's the same for the chefs. It's like you can't just turn up and do a menu and go home. You've got to create a menu that is part of this process. Yeah. 
So yeah, it takes a certain type of person. I I totally I totally get that, and that's something that I've also experienced uh, going with you to Mongolia, and I mean knowing Emma, and I've cooked for Emma on a retreat myself. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I've met Bettina, who's cooking for you. So, I I really feel the kind of connection that you have with with those people, and um, at least the way I've experienced them, it, it totally feels like natural to me, yeah. and that's also something that I see in creating my retreats like to have a team it's not i mean if if i want to create that kind of magic if i want to create that special experience um i see myself as part of the whole experience but also everybody of the team absolutely so it's really about that and i really want to feel that passion within each and everyone who's working on that yeah, yeah? who's trying to create this week of magic or those days that uh, are really transformative for the guests absolutely and um yeah knowing knowing you knowing um emma and some of the other people it's it's something that i absolutely feel and uh, it's a lot of fun and i think that's also something that's quite unique and special about what you do and how you create those experiences oh yeah i mean i don't know if it's unique because obviously i only know i haven't actually been on a retreat myself for a long time i haven't been on anybody else's retreat so i don't know um i i kind of know that what i'm doing and where i'm working and the way that i'm working is quite different to a lot of other people um but that that bond that we share on a retreat um with the team and also with our local teams um, that's always been there since the beginning. That's absolutely integral to what we do. I just that I have had other people. Some people come along and they do one retreat, and it's just not for them. I mean, as a team member, um, usually because it's too tough. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, working on a retreat, people go, "Oh, yo, you run retreats? Oh, like I'm sitting by the pool all day." <laughs> it's such hard work. It's such hard work. It's like minimum 14 hour day especially the locations that we work so you know the people that I work with regularly they're grafters we all know that process of getting up at six in the morning and working through till 10 and how to manage and resource ourselves and get through that day and the people that come along and do it once or twice um, they're just not up for that that process I don't think it's too, it's too tough so so is there also um a certain emphasis and or like a that you create a dedicated experience that there's something that you have actually in mind setting up a retreat or something maybe also in the future that you look at creating these experience is there any kind of theme that you're aiming at um my i think always my theme at the heart of it is the wellness journey um and now you know in the last i'd say four years now i've been really focused i kind of did a, a real shift into i changed my uh sort of tagline to explore extraordinary places and i've kind of decided to specialize in going to what some people call bucket list locations or those kind of really like often unusual or 
uh, yeah, unusual, wild, remote places. And those places are the places that I love to go to, that I feel passionate. That's what I've always wanted to do. And I finally got to a point where I feel confident enough to try and organise retreats there. It's not easy because quite often I'm working in places where they haven't had a retreat before and certainly not a retreat like we're doing. So it's kind of pioneering, um, but that whole idea of being in the wilderness and being somewhere really remote, possibly without any Wi-Fi, uh, where people are really roaming around in nature, that I would say goes alongside the wellness stuff now. Um, and more and more, the locations have quite a strong element of adventure travel in them. So I'm kind of adding in the possibility to hike to the top of a mountain, to ride horses somewhere remote to like go snorkeling in some kind of paradise island so as I'm putting the retreats together now I am looking at locations that have those extra elements so you've kind of got your wellness stuff some adventures some wilderness so that's that's kind of like my package these days Um, and I, I would say that Mongolia probably is is like epitomizes all of that that was probably the first one that I did that I went yeah this is exactly what I've always wanted to do and it took me like nearly 10 years to get there let's let's talk about that story again like like let our listeners know because I heard it already a little (laughs) bit I know the story behind it but I find it so fascinating like how did you come about going to Mongolia to host a yoga retreat I know Mongolia is a bit of a special one like this doesn't happen this this process is not what happens for all of my retreats but For me, Mongolia had been a childhood dream. So when I was young, I read a book. Um, I've always been like into horses and I read a horse, a book called The Marvelous Mongolian Pony. And I was like seven and it just had such a big impact on me because at the time Mongolia was a completely closed country. You couldn't go there. And the story was about uh, a young girl in in the UK who'd bought a wild horse and she couldn't tame it. And she had a Mongolian pen pal, which is what he used to have before the internet. And he was an amazing horseman because that's what they do in Mongolia. They're famous for how they ride. And he was sending her letters telling her how to train her horse, but they were exchanging you know ideas about where they lived and to me in my mind it was then planted that Mongolia was the ultimate place like this completely wild incredible place that you couldn't go to you weren't allowed because the borders were closed and so the seed was planted then and many many years later um, when I had moved back to the UK and was kind of starting my job my I was living in a flat share and my uh, flatmate was working for an NGO and one of the countries that she was um, managing was Mongolia. She's like, oh, I'm going to Mongolia next week. And I was like, what? You're going to Mongolia? Oh, my God. And I was just so, and like, as soon as she came back, I was like, tell me everything. And she was just describing what it was like. And I was like, I really want to run a retreat there. I really, because I just started then. I was kind of right at the beginning and I just thought it would never happen, but the seed was planted. And then another friend of mine uh, went to Mongolia with her family 
and she sent me a message saying I've just been to this camp in northern Mongolia it's open for tourists it's you have to go through a tour company in the UK you can't go there independently but I talked to the owner and he would be open to it so here's his contact I was like sent him an email absolutely no reply and then I kind of started this process of thinking right I'm going to do it and I kept fight they used to have all these big camps they probably still do and you can like travel there with orderly travel and the bit you know all the big travel agents here in the UK you can do these trips where you kind of do the Trans-Siberian and end up in Mongolia and you stay in these camps and they're big camps for like 50 people there's no way you can do yoga um, and they serve you know very different food and I was thinking that was going to be my only option and I kept writing to people and no one would reply or they did and then it wasn't suitable and I kind of almost gave up but it just kept I kept having this I, 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 for some reason I always dream about Mongolia I have these amazing dreams where I'm in this place and I'm completely free in this empty space and I'm running around and I'm completely safe it's like my happy dream and I've actually been having them quite a lot in lockdown which is uh, quite interesting it's obviously about freedom I would say anyway I then decided I've got to do this and I don't do this for every retreat but I spent a weekend doing a vision board so I did a whole load of research I bought a Lonely Planet book rather than going online because I didn't want to sit online and I researched and I researched and I researched and then I decided I looked at a map and I looked at all the different places you could go and I decided a particular area and just went that is where I want to do my retreat and then I did a vision board and put all the different elements on there and then I googled that place and a newspaper article came up for this particular area and it was a a journalist who'd gone to a camp and described his experience and at the bottom it just said um, my trip was hosted by this particular travel company so I googled them found their email emailed them and went oh hello blah 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 and I literally got a reply within five minutes and after years and years of not hearing from anyone I suddenly got a reply and at the time the company I work with it's a Mongolian company but this very inspiring Swedish guy called Jan Wigston um, who has been working in Mongolia for years he had the vision to set this company up and he got my email um, and I don't know if it's because he's Swedish if he, but something he just he just thought that would be a brilliant idea someone should do some yoga retreats in Mongolia and he wrote to me and said I think that's a really great idea what would you need to make it happen and I said oh I would need this space for the yoga and we kind of had a couple of email exchanges and then we did a a Skype I think it was Skype at the time and he was like look if you're going to do a retreat in Mongolia you have to come here you can't actually you have to come and see it you can't imagine it unless you've been here can you come next week and I was just like oh my god and I booked a a flight and I was in Mongolia within a week and it was like one of those moments in my life like when I arrived it was in September it was snowing it was quite intense Um, and then we just went straight out to the Gobi and when I arrived in the Gobi it was like arriving in the place that I've been dreaming about it was so powerful for me it's like I'm here I've actually done it I'm here and 
from there, we ran our first retreat the following July. And you were there, weren't you? Yes, I was there. I was there. So it it doesn't normally take me that much effort to put a retreat together, but that was something that, you know, was obviously meant to be. And I have to say that I think that since I've been doing the retreats in Mongolia, it's been a turning point because I then had the confidence to really, like, look at my vision and go, I'm going to do this. Mm. I mean, I have to say, this was definitely one of the most amazing travel experiences and retreat experiences that I had in my life. And um, again, to give a little bit of context, I mean, I went not as a guest, but I went there to film. And uh, so there is actually a little kind of um, evidence and a beautiful little film that we created um, that's out there. And I'm going to put a link into the show notes. But... I think I I just want you to explain a little bit more what it is actually like, because you just said like, okay, you went to Mongolia and then you ended up in the Gobi, but I think it doesn't really um, communicate in a way like the immense amount of travel and the sheer like vastness of the country and what it takes to actually go there. It sounds Hmm. a little bit like, yeah, you go to Mongolia and then you end up in the Gobi, but (laughs) tell us a little bit more about the whole experience. (laughs) Good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, to go from Europe to Mongolia is, you know, the quickest way is to fly there with Aeroflot via Moscow, which is, you know, some people go, oh, I don't want to do that. But actually, it's it's fine. It's great. But, you know, it takes you 12 hours to get there. Um, and then you've got a really big time difference. Uh, so when people arrive... We usually, we're changing it up for the next retreat, but usually we stay one night in Ulaanbaatar. So you kind of arrive, you, we always stay in the same hotel. It's 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 a kind of um, a comfortable, but a Russian built block hotel that people kind of go, ooh, okay, first, first step. I mean, Ulaanbaatar has changed dramatically, even since you were there, Sasha, you won't believe it. Um, there's... But when we first went, it was quite a, a, a basic city, wasn't it? There wasn't so much to do. It's quite hard to find somewhere to eat. I actually have to say I was totally surprised because I think like Ulaanbaatar had something like eight or nine vegan restaurants. And that totally blew my mind. Yeah, they're really good on vegan stuff. Yeah, they're really good on their vegan stuff. Um, but now they have a lot more restaurants. They're really on it now. And there's some really interesting places to go. So you kind of arrive, you stay your first night, you've got jet lag. So you arrive at six o'clock in the morning, all the flights arrive at six o'clock in the morning. And if you've come from Europe, that's actually, you know, 5 p.m. or something in the evening. I can't remember the time difference exactly. So the trick is that you have to stay awake all day to kick the jet lag. And about 50% of the group fail and go to sleep. <clears throat> and then they wake up and it's night time. And then the next morning early, we wake up and we go to the train station and we take the train on the Trans-Mongolian. It's the, trans, it's the same route as the Trans-Siberian Express, but it's a different train. So we're on a local Trans-Mongolian train for the whole day. And we've got like four or five carriages and we spend the entire day <clears throat> on this trade and it's just brilliant you know it's, it's slow travel it is the epitome of slow travel uh well no actually it's you're going slower and slower and that time you know there are beds so some people who haven't been able to get some sleep or have a sleep but already people are starting to chat and bond and then you kind of you go along and then you 
it gets more and more and more empty as you're heading into the Gobi and you, you know you see less and less and then you occasionally see like a herd of camels or a herd of horses and some cows and it gets less and less and less and then you get to this train station that actually is just a block of concrete which is the platform and suddenly it's like everyone get off the train so it's like bundle and everyone jumps off the train and then you are in the middle of absolutely nowhere and everyone's face is like oh my god what are we doing and then we have jeeps that pick everybody up and we have about another hour's drive off-road and we're like bumping along getting into more and more rocky sandy stuff and then you kind of go over the hill and arrive into our Gobi camp and our Gobi camp I mean we've been going there now for five years um it's just the most incredible place isn't it there's 14 big yurts it's a luxury camp but it's glamping and they call them gares the most amazing mongolian family run that camp and they've been there for years and they run it like clockwork and the first year that we went no one had ever done that before so it was quite chaotic but they have absolutely got it down now we arrive and it's just totally set up ready for a yoga retreat because normally what they do is they have different guests that arrive in twos and threes and stay for a few nights so for us to book the entire camp out and turn up with 20 people it's it's a lot of extra work for them so we turn up and uh they're there with the camels and the camel carts and they collect all our luggage and the you know we walk into the camp and just it's so it's it's a moment like i the uh bettina our chef goes ahead so she's kind of there waiting to welcome people and everyone's got their little name on the door of their yurt so they kind of run into the camp and they've got to find their yurt and you know most people run and find their yurt and go oh my god look at this it's amazing and then some people are like where's the toilet what I've got because it's 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 glamping so you've got beautiful yurt and you've got a nice little sink in your yurt but the toilets are drop toilets and they are a little walk outside of the camp aren't they and uh one set of toilets the camp's kind of divided into two one set of toilets is actually quite close to where the camel herd lives so you kind of have to walk past the camels to get to the toilet and for some people that's quite challenging and if it's not challenging it's certainly unusual so you kind of you know, come from your flat in London and the next minute, well, not the next minute, actually two days later, you're in this camp and some people you can see are thinking, oh my God, I don't want to go to the toilet there. What if I need to go to the toilet in the middle of the night? And there's that moment where people kind of go, oh my God, where am I? And we have to work hard on that retreat the first few days to really help people feel comfortable. Showers, we have two shower gears. Um, and we offer people to have one hot shower a day, but they have to book in for it because they every morning the guys get up early, saddle up the camels. I don't actually know if that's the right term. Do you saddle up a camel? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> put know. the harness on the camel, Put the, get the camel cart, get the water. They go off to the, the spring, and then they bring back the water for the day, and then the the girls that are looking after the showers take some of that water, put it on a fire, they make a camel dung fire, they boil the water ready, they put it in a bucket and that's your shower. And that whole process obviously takes a very long time. So we ask people just have one shower a day. And you can for some people that's challenging that they can't just go into a bathroom and go to the toilet and have a shower. 
but honestly within two or three days everyone's just kind of got into the whole rhythm of it we're basically living like herders um but in very comfortable cozy beds with Bettina cooking your food and Emma teaching your yoga so we're there we stay there for four nights um and uh you can't predict what the weather's going to be sometimes it's really windy sometimes it rains sometimes it's boiling hot it changes every day um we people can go and ride the camels they can take a bike and go out in the desert the herders come and take us out um for walks and show us the caves and um we head out um on the last day we head out further into the desert to this amazing uh like rock bowl where we bake a fire and we have like a um, Bettina cooks this big meal outside and then we sit and we do kirtan around the fire um, and uh, we've bonded so well with our Mongolian team um, there's, a, there's a whole story around this maybe for another time but we kind of discovered on our first retreat that um, Mongolians really love to sing and it's you know if you kind of know a bit about Mongolian culture you always know about the throat singing which is quite unusual and they're quite famous throat singers but actually every Mongolian loves to sing and you know they sing to their children they sing to their parents they sing to their animals they sing when they're apart from each other they sing songs to remember each other by they've got the most amazing beautiful songs and when they heard Emma doing her chanting in her kirtan and the group joining in they're like oh you sing too and so we've kind of developed this thing where we like have a sing-off so we we sit around the fire and we do our call and response kirtan and then they sing us Mongolian folk songs and over the years that has become quite an event for them and we, we, co- we go off and, and they not only it's not just our Mongolian team all the local herders rock up so it's just like turned into this party. So these guys turn up on motorbikes and camels and they have in their own barbecue and they're like, oh, the yogis are here. And we all kind of, they bring their kids and it's just the, the most wonderful experience. It's great. And then the next day we get into Jeeps and we spend um, eight hours traveling all the way across to a completely different part of Mongolia to stay in a different camp that could not be more different to the Gobi it's lush and it's green and it's in the mountains it's by a river it's much cooler and we kind of do the whole thing again for another four days so people get a real experience of being in this very sort of moon-like unusual Mongolian landscape and then this lush green one and then we head back to Ulaanbaatar and they stay another night in the hotel and they go home. So it's, it's a, it's a nine-night, ten-day retreat. It's not a small one. It's a big adventure. It's a big journey. I mean, I've been there and I've seen those places. And um, that's the, one of the most beautiful spots that I've seen in my whole life. And also the whole experience. I mean, like, I guess what a lot of listeners and also like some of the feedback that I had when I was talking to my friends, um, when I told them that I'd be going to a retreat in Mongolia and even like after coming back and talking about it, there was definitely, there were a few people asking like, 
like why do you need to go all the way to Mongolia to do a yoga retreat and um, I think let's say yeah, it's like a, it's a reasonable question it's a valid question but I also I felt for myself and I know what it does I know what it means to go there and uh, I felt the kind of appreciation that the people there had for us being there and the kind of connection that we were able to do but but how do you see it for yourself to go to Mongolia or even to other amazing places far away um, to create these experiences? Well, I, I have mixed feelings about it, actually. Um, what I see is that if you travel to somewhere that's really remote and really far, it's very powerful, um, and it's a very unusual experience. Um, and I would say that, the, you know, the majority of people that have come on our Mongolia trip, for example, they've formed really strong friendships with each other that have, you know, it's, it's probably one of the most powerful retreats we do because of the location, but also because of Mongolian, the Mongolian people and the Mongolian culture. So it's a very, very special experience. Um, but I do, um, I have mixed feelings about flying around the world to do yoga full stop. Like, why do we need to do that? Um, and I think it kind of comes down to why do we travel? Um, and how do we travel? Um, and it's definitely something um, I've been thinking about a lot more in the last few years. Um, that if you're going to travel somewhere like that, it needs to be done in the right way. And certainly, I mean, I th there's, there's two things. Like on the, Mongolia is the most uh, remote and most extreme location we go to. And to spend two days getting there and arriving with jet lag and exhaustion and like, you kind of think, well, why did I do that? This is absolutely bonkers. Why have I just done that to myself? And then... I have to spend a few days recovering from that before I enjoy my trip. But I can tell you the end result is absolutely worth the journey. Um, so on, on that side of it, I think it's, it's a challenge and it's tough. And those are trips of a lifetime. I wouldn't want to be running retreats in Mongolia and doing only that and doing 20 of those a year. I don't, that's, that's kind of not where I'm at. I think once a year, once every other year maybe is the time to do that. Um, but kind of going into maybe a different aspect of this is 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 the the idea of yoga retreats and why people get on planes to do yoga and um, the whole thing about climate change, which has obviously become uh, like a, a, a it, everyone's talking about it now. It's obviously it's been an issue for a while. It's been bothering me for a while, but it's it's something that I have now really had a good look at. Um, and my views on that side of things now is I think it's really important that we travel less. And as a retreat company where I take people overseas, I've actually made a decision that I'm going to do less long haul travel and I'm going to do more slow travel. I'm going to do more local travel. But if we do go on those big trips, they have to be a force for good. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add like... Um... What I experienced when we went to Mongolia, I mean, I, I really felt um, how 
uh, yeah, deep of a connection we were able to form and, and create with the people that were running the camp over there and the kind of pride that they were showing towards us to be able to host us there. And even like in, in conversations with them to see, okay, it's something different that you do there. It's not like the usual guests that they have like every week in and out coming just for a day or two, just for a night and then leaving again. But actually having people there staying there for a few days um, is a totally different experience. So they also feel there's a kind of interest, a much deeper interest in the culture and everything that they do. And I remember like the first time when we were there, when you did the first retreat, like that night when we went out to have this kind of kirtan under the rocks. And I remember the guys coming to us and saying like, hey, this is actually a place where like back in the days, the ancient yogis and shamans used to practice and used to have their ceremonies and it's something so special even for them to be able to have that kind of thing in a way again it was not that it felt like we were taking over something because we actually didn't know but but I felt how it filled them with such a mm -hmm. pride to be able to share this kind of holy place with us and to see how we created, how you and Emma created an atmosphere there that was really special and how the whole retreat, how everybody honored that. It was just not like getting in, seeing a site, some kind of like going in with a bus, stopping there for five minutes and then leaving again, but really having an experience that went so deep and... Um, to see how a kind of connection with a culture can form even in a short time but uh, a connection that's that's way deeper than many other travels can give you no you're absolutely right you're absolutely right that um i think the kind of retreats that we do they are you know for the person who's traveling the traveler the guest the yogi whatever however you want to describe them they are kind of purchasing an experience. That's what you're selling. Um, and for them, we are creating something really magical and powerful. But th the impact and the connection that you have with the people that you're working with, for me, is equally important. And, you know, how you work with with a local team. You know, I, I kind of co-create my retreats with local teams so, uh, you know, it takes me a long time to find a venue and then we kind of put the programs together so that they're mutually beneficial. And that's partly the the human connection that you're talking about. And you can't you can't kind of plan, you know, what happened in Mongolia, how we found that connection around singing. You can't plan that, you know, but if you set things up in a in a way where you're all in it together i think that's really important there's human connection like you said that's why we travel isn't it? it it goes beyond just rocking up somewhere to do yoga way beyond that and um i think that really is the power of those kind of deep that deep work that you do on a retreat uh across everything um on another level our mongolia camps are off-grid um so they're like environmentally you've got that long flight there and then once you get there we're having like zero impact on the environment so you know how i look at where i travel and what i do you know 
if you're going to Mongolia and then you work with a company like that that are doing something where they you know they're supporting various conservation projects but we are not damaging the environment we get we travel by train we travel by camel like you know we're in these camps that they're, they're run by solar as you know um so the impact that we're having on the environment is minimal um and the positive impact we're having on the people we work with is 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 like max so i feel good about that what is it then that you do at the moment or that you have been thinking about over the last i don't know like months or years to shift the retreats to a more sustainable way of travel um right i i mean i i started working on this last year um kind of people were starting to challenge me i was starting to feel quite uncomfortable about the number of flights and people were saying to me i love your retreats but i really don't want to go on a plane i don't feel good about that and uh, people were saying oh you know you can just offset it and i was thinking I'm not sure if that's the answer, just ticking a box on the, we know you book your flight and then it says, would you like to offset this tick? So by offset, by offset, you mean like paying like for the carbon emission? That's right. Yeah. So there's, the, I don't, there's a whole world out there of companies that um, donate money to various conservation related projects or tree planting projects um, to mitigate the impact of carbon emissions. So you can pay money to those companies, which the money will then go towards those projects. So uh, someone has managed to set up this system to say, you know, there's this, you, if you get on a plane, these are the this is the m number of tons of carbon emission. Um, and therefore you can pay this much money to plant this many trees or towards this project that would mitigate it. So it's a bit of an arbitrary calculation um but it, it's a way of putting some money back into positive climate positive projects basically um and i think it's great but it wasn't the answer for me i think i was thinking no i actually kind of need to change things a bit so i started looking at it and i realized that i wanted to contribute to some of those projects and and change where i worked but i kind of had all these retreats booked and i wasn't quite sure how it's going to take me a couple of years i think to get there And then we had global pandemic and everything stopped. And I've just spent the last three months really working hard on this um, and, you know, taken the time to really try and understand and study this whole thing from a travel perspective. And I basically, I spent a long time working out all my carbon emissions for the last five years beyond like my client flights my guest flights the in-country travel the climate the, the the carbon emissions from the from the places I work and then I did this whole long calculation and worked out that I can cut my carbon emissions by 50% which I'm really proud about because they kind of everybody is saying we need to reduce our carbon emissions and we need to do it by this amount by this date And then if everyone did that, then we would be on the path to net zero. And I looked at it and said, actually, I can do quite a lot here. And some of that is reducing long haul travel. Um, but a lot of it is finding the right people to work with where 
they are you know i'm now working with low impact destinations so i'm looking at places that are working with renewable energy that have good waste management i'm looking at places where you know if we do have to fly once we get there it's like what they call a climate positive experience i'm I'm now finding partners in conservation areas so when you book a retreat there you're actually supporting that project um or you know looking at like i found a new place to work in panama it's a reforestation project so not only is our retreat supporting that but i've also put money in the budget to add a further contribution so i've worked out how to cut my carbon emissions by 50 percent i've then worked out and put into my budgets that I will offset. I found the right, it's taken me ages. There's so many offset partners out there. I found a brilliant offset company called Offset Earth. Um, Had a long chat with them during lockdown about how I work and how I can do things. And so going forward in my budget, I will offset every guest flight as well as my team flights and any in-country travel. So I've kind of gone down the route of reduce my carbon footprint offset the rest and now i'm looking at projects in the countries that i'm working with where i can support conservation tree planting and i'm taking my time with that because you have to make sure that you're supporting a good project the money's going where it should go um so like if i'm working with like my mongolian partners they really know their stuff i know they're doing really they're donating to really good conservation projects but new partners i'm kind of I've, I've taken the time to ask the questions and it's I have such a good response I mean people are doing amazing stuff and I never even bothered to ask I just kind of make assumptions that oh that's probably not great you know my Iceland venue they're running on 100% renewable energy they get the water from the mountain I didn't even know they had their own reforestation project I never bothered to ask before so now I'm finding out all this amazing stuff so I've like published on my website I've, I've developed a list of eco-credentials, what I'm looking for in a venue. And then I ask my venues, what are you doing? Where, where are you at with that? And then I'm publishing it and being really open about where I'm at. And I have to say, there's a couple of places I'm working that don't really fit that. Um, and I'm committed to working with them. Like, obviously, my whole travel plan, retreat plan has been disrupted by the pandemic and things that were supposed to run this year will run into next year. But as I'm going forward, everything new that I'm choosing now fits these uh, eco-credentials that I've developed so that I know that when I travel, that when we travel there, one, that we're not traveling as much, but then when we get there, we're contributing to something positive. So I feel quite excited. I'm quite proud of myself. It's taken me ages. I've done, been to so many webinars. That's what lockdown's all about, isn't it? Zoom meetings, webinars. Um, and I've also been doing this brilliant transformational travel design course, which has just been such an exceptional experience. But they, there's a network and I've found people within that network that work on climate change. And so I've just been badgering them and saying, well, what if I do this and what if I do that? So I feel quite confident now that I'm going in the right direction. So do you feel there is like a, like, like how is the response from the places that you work with to go into this? And like, like what actually like, t uh, tell me a little bit more also about this kind of what helped you to go deeper into this? I think um, the places that I work some of the places that I work 
uh, I think most people have quite a strong awareness about climate change now, don't they? Um, and I, some of the places that, I mean, like Panama, South America, they're on it, those guys. Costa Rica, those kind of places, they, there's so many ecologies there. There's so many places that have been designed with rainwater catchment. Like, there's just, I mean, they live in this amazing biodiverse part of the world. They've got their rainforest, they want to protect it. You know, I found those guys are so inspiring, the work they're doing in that part of the world. It's not Europe, We, you know, it's not so easy to find places in Europe they're there but it's not so common um and you know some countries can do it really easily because they have the natural resources places like norway and iceland they're running on renewable energy um you know norway they've got so many trees so it's kind of easy for them in some ways to do it um and and other countries it's not um but even some of the newer places i'm working in the azores and um our new partners it's a new hotel they've just built and they've got loads of solar panels but the solar panels is you know because the weather there it's not enough to power the hotel but they've part i didn't even ask them this when i went to visit and then i've like emailed them afterwards and they were so passionate about it when i asked them it's so they said well We've done this and then we're working with a green energy supplier, but we've made a really good deal with them that if we don't use any energy or we've got any extra energy, we're going to give it back to them so somebody else can have it. So I think that lots of people are thinking about this and the way they do things. And I think I made a lot of assumptions. I mean, I was trying to kind of Google, you know, how the Azores are doing. You know, sometimes islands have quite a tough time because they have a limited resources i was trying to google what are they doing i just thought why am i doing that why don't i just ask my partners because normally my relationship with partners is i email them and say okay we're coming at this time can you put some horse riding where can we buy some bananas blah 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 but now during lockdown i've had much more time and i've been doing this course and trying to understand things so i've just been emailing and asking them it's really deepened my my knowledge and also my relationship with people and i found it really inspiring um, I have to say that here in the UK, we're not doing so well. It's 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 harder here to do it than it is anywhere else. I'm, I'm, that's that's been a real eye opener for me. You mean like with the locations that you're doing your retreats in the UK? Yeah, there's less options here. You know, you can buy, you can get green energy. Um, I, I I've got a new location that's a complete off grid, uh, brilliant example of uh, like an environmentally sustainable location. Um, and I think more and more places like that are happening. But, you know, for a lot of people who've got, you know, big old manor houses or old cottages and stuff, they're not that they're, they're not environmentally sustainable. And, you know, it's it's difficult to make that happen here. Come on, UK government, sort it out. <laughs> How's it? What's it like in Germany? Um, actually, I don't have so much experience. I mean, uh, the places that I've been to so far, for example, also in Ibiza, that's something that's always been bothering me. I mean, Ibiza is an island that absolutely has a water problem, especially in August when the island is full with tourists. And then um, I ended up having retreats at houses and working in the kitchen. And I mean, you have to wash a lot of dishes and everything. 
but then seeing like that there is no way to put like these kind of little filters on the tap so that it reduces the amount of water that you use. Yeah. Um, everybody's telling you, be mindful about the water, but then those things just miss and you end up wasting so much water and it always breaks my heart. And it's mm -hmm. also this kind of conversation. Okay, like see, there is something, even if it's like this little thing that you could do. Um, but in many places, the awareness is not there. So I feel it definitely takes the kind of initiative like on our side creating a retreat to say okay these are the locations that we want to work with exactly. these are the places exactly. where we want to host the retreats yeah, yeah? and I, I feel really passionate about that going forward I think you know yogis are generally conscious beings and they care about the environment mm. um, and to go on a yoga retreat like you should be asking they should be asking those questions like you know what kind of place are we working? What impact is it having on the environment? Can I make a contribution when I get there? Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned it briefly, and I mean, we haven't really gone into this, like the whole thing with the lockdown and the impact that it has on the whole travel industry on each and one of us. And um, I mean, I don't want to get too much into what it actually does at the moment, but where do you see the chances or where do you see this will take us and, and create new ways of travel? How will it in, in impact uh, and transform travel in the future? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I've probably been to about 20 different webinars on that subject. And, and what I've noticed is as time has gone on, that that those conversations have changed. And I, th I think the honest answer is that we don't know. I think that before we went into this whole thing, there was a lot of concern about climate change. And I think that one of the things that has been consistent all the way through is that we stopped traveling and the environment got a rest and the lack of planes in the air was a good thing. Um, but then on the other side of it, people who uh, are dependent on tourism have lost their entire income. So while the, while no planes in the air was a good thing, no tourism is really tough for many, many communities. So there's been a lot of talk about when travel restarts, it should be a force for good. You know, that seems to be a real common theme that you should be putting your money into your tourist pound or <clears throat> euro whatever should be going into the right place and to, to, to take care on what you're booking and why um so but you know this is people in the travel industry that are saying this who knows hi it's me your host Sasha Kaus I'm super grateful that you are here and listen to our conversation if you enjoy the show why not become a member and support Retreat Affairs? There's even more content than in this free episode. As a member, you will get access to the full interview. You will be able to read a transcript of the whole conversation and get links to everything that was mentioned throughout the show. But most importantly, you will help me to keep the podcast going. I started Retreat Affairs as a project that's close to my heart. I'm passionate about this work, but it also keeps me busy quite a lot. By supporting me, you will help me to dedicate more time to retreat affairs and still be able to pay my rent, pay for my yoga class or have some delicious plant-based food between recording sessions. Every bit of support is super welcome. And if you feel the love, don't forget to share it with your friends. Thank you so much for your time, your interest and your support. Let's head back to the interview. 
So do you have any kind of practices for yourself during retreat or even between retreats um, that help you to yeah regain your energy or to maintain your energy maintain your focus um you know i would love to say that i have a really strong yoga practice um and i used to which is why i set the whole thing up in the first place but um i uh these days i am a bit of a i've got a personal trainer and i train hard like i'm in my 50s now and i need to be fit and strong and i find when i'm not on retreat i like to kind of do stuff that is not related to yoga and yoga retreats so i train you know two or three times a week with my trainer normally when there's not a lockdown i do spinning classes um and then i would go to a yoga class maybe once a week um so i'm kind of i'm strong and i'm fit And I need that for my travels and my journeys because they're very physical locations, a lot of them. And that's what keeps me going. Um, and I eat well. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm fairly healthy and fairly strong. Probably I am healthy and strong, not fairly. Um, and that's the kind of, I feel like I need that physical strength to do my job. It, it feels like I need to be like, managing my energy in that way by being strong um i used to be somebody who practiced yoga regularly and i did a lot of meditation and i seem to have moved on in my life i feel like it might come back but i'm not doing that so much and i, I partly think it's because i'm around it a lot for work And so it almost feels like work when I'm doing it, but I'm always curious. I did an online class, yoga class last night, um, and I really enjoyed it. It was not my normal kind of practice, but I, I don't know. I, I, I dip in and out of lots of things, I think. What would be a destination for yourself to travel to without being the host of a retreat, without organizing, but just going for yourself? Oh, I'm really keen to go to Canada. I've never been... Um, and I've been having a really good look around to some amazing places there. Um, generally speaking, I, I do have a passion for Scandi countries. So for me, staying in a log cabin in a quiet forest by a river would be just absolute heaven. Uh, I'm not so much of a, a, a beach person these days. I like mountains, mountains, rivers and cabins are my passion um yeah kind of got my eye on a few cabins in canada but i don't think i'm going to be going there anytime soon and we've talked a little bit about covid and um you already said a little bit about what's coming up for you next with the retreat in the uk in august but um there's also like one special project that i've seen that you're doing um for the nhs workers could you tell a little bit more about that oh yes yes um i i decided when we were in the real um hardcore part of the pandemic here in the UK I really I felt there was a lot of pressure on our NHS um, and a lot they had you know they work they work so hard in not great conditions and I just felt so much compassion we do have some regular 
retreat guests who work for the NHS and I and so I was in touch with them and I knew what they were going through and I just I really wanted to do something. The NHS is the National Health Service yes. for all of our listeners who don't oh, know yes. so all the healthcare workers. Yes so as we went through the pandemic everyone was sick went into NHS hospitals and they were very overloaded in very difficult situations for for a while um And so I basically decided, what can I do to help? What do I do? I run retreats. I would love to run a retreat for people like that for free so they can come and we can look after them. So while they've been looking after everybody else and they've been taking care, can we offer them something where we take care of them as a thank you? So um, I contacted one of my favourite UK venues and she was totally up for it. And she said, I'll just charge you costs and you can come. And then I asked my team, would you be up for donating your time? And they all said yes. So um, I basically put together a project where I had to, I, I have, been fundraising for the costs which are the accommodation costs and the food and we're going to give them some wine we feel like we don't need to make this a kind of uh, uh, a detox weekend this needs to be a treat weekend so I needed to raise two thousand pounds for to run the entire retreat for 16 people so I've been fundraising and I'm nearly there I think I've got 1,600 pounds in the pot so almost there But I also opened it out and asked people, uh, if you know someone that you think deserves this retreat, you can nominate them. And I've had about 150 nominations so far, and they are amazing nominations. I mean, the kindness, um, you know, people have nominated their partners who they've been separate from because they couldn't put them at risk. They've been separated from their children. There's cleaners, bus drivers, shop workers. Any, it's not just for the NHS, it's for essential workers, anyone who had went above and beyond during the pandemic. And I only have 16 places and I've got so many nominations. Um, so what I've decided to do is once I can put the retreat together, Uh, I'm going to offer it out and get those 16 people booked. And then for the other people, if I have any spare places on any other retreats, I'm going to offer them to come to that. So I'm just going to keep it going like a fund. So because uh, so many of them deserve it and it's not time bound. So I, I have a feeling, especially in the next six months, not all my retreats are going to be full because normally all my retreats sold out very easily. But I think now post pandemic, some people won't want to travel or they may not be financially in the situation where they can travel. So there may be one or two spare places on retreats. So why not invite people to come along? So, um, yeah, I haven't started any of that process yet, but I'm really looking forward to it um, and being able to make that offer to people. So if our listeners like to donate to that um, amazing project, how could they do this? So, Oh, that would be brilliant. It's on my website, uh, which is reclaimyourself.co.uk. And there's, it's got its own section called Gift Retreat. And if you just go to that section, you can find it on the homepage really easily. It's got a donate and a nominate button. So you can still continue to nominate people and you can donate 
Great, thank you. Okay, so everybody out there, if you feel um, the call and if you want to donate to that project, we're going to put the link in the show notes and all the additional information. And uh, maybe you can also contribute a little bit to giving back to all those people who have worked so hard during this crisis and who definitely need the chance to go on retreat. Um, I think it's an amazing project and uh, great that you're doing that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it feels good. I'm really looking forward to actually doing it and meeting these people. Having read all these nominations, some of them made me cry. They're so beautiful. And to actually meet those people, I'm really looking forward to it. What is something else that you're really looking forward to within the next half year, say so? Um, <clears throat> I During lockdown, I've been, it's been a learning period for me. So I think we, we talked about earlier, I did this transformational travel design course and I've learned all these new skills um, and I'm really at the moment I am in creative mode so I'm putting together some new retreats for next year and beyond I think at the moment we have to play the long game and so patience is the key I'm not very good at patience but I, I've got some really, I've had loads of good ideas in lockdown. After the initial shock of losing so much and feeling like everything kind of got burnt down to the ground and I had to start again, once I got to that place and started to think, oh, clean slate, how would I do things differently? Um, I mean, I've I talked about the uh, responsible travel stuff and, and I've been looking for venues in a completely different way i've been looking for people who are experts at conservation and then approaching them and asking if i can create something with them so i've got these new partners to work with and i can't launch those retreats yet we slowly slowly but i've got at least four countries that we're not working with at the moment that i'm so excited about I've just got these brilliant plans I'm co-creating with local partners in a completely different way. Um, and I've got one particular project. I'm sort of being a bit mysterious because I can't launch any of it yet. But I've got this particular project that won't launch until 2022. But I'm putting it together now. That's going to... It's it's not exactly how I've done things before. It's wellness, but it's transformational travel. It's conservation. Um, the yoga is a big part of it still, but there's more. And so all my creative energy is going into that stuff now. Um, so, yeah, I'm, that's the big stuff that I'm feeling excited about. In the next six months, I am just looking forward to getting back on the road. I've been stuck in my flat in London for four months. Um, you know, I think I should be in Svalbard right now and I've, you know, cancelled that. I should have been in Mongolia in a couple of weeks' time, cancelled that. So... I do love to travel. I like to do it well and I like to do it. I love to meet people. I've been fantasizing about going to Iceland all summer. We've got a retreat there in October and it's looking really promising that that's going to go ahead. Um, another COVID free country and they've managed things very well. Um, and I've noticed that a lot of my partners who live in these beautiful places, their lockdown has been amazing. You know, they're living in absolute paradise. And yes, they've had no customers and that's very concerning. But while I've been stuck in my flat in London, they've been, you know, 
skiing or in in the hot springs or riding horses in the wilderness and I'm like oh I want to do that so I'm really looking forward to being able to travel to see the partners that I've been chatting to through all of this um, and just to reconnect and run a retreat I don't know what it's going to be like to run a retreat after this pandemic what I can see from the emails I've been receiving in the last couple of weeks is people really want to do it they really need something around wellness and togetherness and adventure. Yeah, I totally hope. I totally hope that uh, we will be able to come together with uh, everybody soon again. I mean, there's also a lot of people that I have uh, in different places around the world that I would really love to see again, give them a hug and come together, spend time together. And yeah, I also see that you definitely have a lot of interesting things coming up and I'm super excited to hear more about them. And uh, this gives me already a chance to say like, ah, I'm looking forward to have you back on the show uh, at some point. Oh, um, yes, please. I'd but, love to. Um, <laughs> but before we close this up, is there anything that you would like to add? Is there anything that we haven't touched yet and that uh, you want to get out there into the world and let people know? The thing that I'm really passionate about at the moment is about responsible travel. And I think as we come out of this pandemic, there's been a lot of talk about a green recovery. Um, and I think having spent lots of time working on this, um, you know, responsible travel, yes, it's about um, protecting the planet, but it's also about how you work with people, how you interact with people, how you support people when you travel. And I am, I'm just so passionate going forward, particularly in the yoga retreat world, that we all try our absolute best to uh, travel responsibly and to just invite people to join me on this path of uh, really looking at how you work and where you work and who you work with and making sure you're making a positive contribution, not just to your yogi guests, but to the places and the people. Uh, that you're working with because I think that really is so important now and it's it's we've got a chance we've had a pause we've got a chance to really review things and do very well and I think if we all come together and do that in the yoga industry with yoga travel it could be very powerful I'd, I'd really like to see that as a big shift I feel that's an amazing opportunity and um, that's also something that I'm really passionate about and that I want to give a platform here with the podcast because I feel that's the chance that we have now to really reflect on how we travel I still feel that travel in general is just an amazing opportunity to learn more about the world and to um, yeah overcome um, certain beliefs that we have of other cultures by really getting in touch with them and really seeing different places meeting other people and um, yeah. with this kind of travel going in small groups to smaller places it really enables us to connect um, on a different level with local communities and support local communities um, yeah. small businesses yeah. um, individual people um, that really work hard to create something special and they open their houses and their lives to invite others um, and it it all helps us to to come together and grow and it's totally different from the big travel industry 
so I would really love to support that. And um, if there is a chance to inspire more people to make conscious decision on how they travel, um, instead of just abandoning all travel, then I feel this is a right step into the future. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I do. I'm very passionate about it. And I think the other thing I just wanted to say before we close is I think that you're, what you're doing with this podcast is brilliant. As soon as you contacted me about it, I thought, oh, my God, I wish I'd had that idea. You know, I'm really passionate about retreats. You're really passionate about retreats. But I don't really see anything like this out there. You know, there's lots of podcasts about yoga and wellness, but actually about yoga retreats about wellness retreats and what we're doing um, I can't wait to listen to who else you're interviewing and other chats from people all around the world that are as passionate as we are about this it's such a brilliant initiative so um, thank you for inviting me it's really it's a really cool thing thank you so much Jules it was such a pleasure to talk to you although and despite all the technical difficulties that we had and <laughs> yeah, that hopefully we had a few yeah, hopefully uh, all your listeners out there don't get them uh, in the final recording so there will be a little bit of editing but uh, Jules you've been so passionate you've been so supportive and it was just like amazing to have you here I'm super super grateful and I'm looking forward to have you back and I'm looking forward to see what's going on with your next adventures and um, brilliant thank you thank you for being on the show thanks I've absolutely loved it thank you very much dear friends this was another episode of the Retreat Affairs podcast this time with Jules Sampson the founder and owner of Reclaim Yourself you find Jules on Twitter Facebook and Instagram at Reclaim Yourself and on her website reclaimyourself.co.uk you can head over to retreataffairs.com where you find the show notes with links to everything that was mentioned in the podcast but remember that this content is only available to our subscribers if you like the podcast please subscribe on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify or your favorite podcast platform you can also also head over to YouTube where you find us too. Just hit that subscribe button and the notification bell and you get a notification when the next episode is out. Just allow me to add this. Retreat Affairs is a project from the heart and it would mean the world to me if you support me. Creating a weekly show is much more work than I had dared to think of and with your support I will be able to keep the project alive and growing. You can support my work by going to retreataffairs.com where you can subscribe and get exclusive content that will only be available to members. And please don't forget to share with me what you have liked and send me feedback on what I can do better. Just go to the Retreat Affairs Instagram page and follow us. That's at Retreat Affairs. Until next time, and thank you for your support, and thank you for listening.